welcome to the Latin Rocks podcast, the podcast where we talk about anything and everything related to ancient Rome. Now get ready for today's topic. Today's topic is ancient poetry. I focus on the meter of ancient poetry and present an approach that is in line with how we view contemporary music. Qui dono lepidum novum libellum, arida modo pumic expolitum. These two lines are the opening lines of a work by the Roman author Catullus. Catullus was born in 84 BC and he died in 54, so this would be the late Republic. He died in the lead-up just before the end of the Republic. Julius Caesar was still in Gaul and was just a few short years shy of crossing the Rubicon. Uh, remember uh, from previous podcasts, the Republic ended roughly in zero. Uh, 27 BC is perhaps a little more precise date, but that's close enough to zero. But back to the poem. Qui dono lepidum novum libellum. The meter, the beat if you will, is hendecasyllabics, and translated it means, to whom shall I give this charming new little book? It's the dedicatory poem, uh, the dedicatory first poem of his uh, book that he has published. And this is Latin poetry at a very high level, and Latin poetry is all about the meter, the, the flow. We think of poetry as rhyming, uh, but no, Latin poetry is not about rhyming, but about meter. Now, let me be clear. I am perhaps not the one for reading poetry. I can't even read greeting cards in the store without turning them into songs. But there is something very accessible, very graspable, if that is a word, about hendecaslavics. For me, it's just fun. Qui dono lepidum novum libellum. Now, hendecasyllabics, uh, it just comes from the Greek word. It means 11. There's 11 syllables to it. It, uh, it isn't always fun. It isn't always lighthearted. Dante, for example, wrote his work in hendecasyllabics. And he had a rhyme meter. Uh, if you want to be blown away by an author's ability to craft his work, look at Dante in the original Italian. He has meter, a rhyme scheme, and an incredible story with incredible imagery. It is quite the impressive work. And Dante, lest you be confused, is an Italian writer writing in the dawn of the Renaissance, almost 1,400 years, 1,400 years after Catullus. So let me point out two things about Roman poetry, the Roman meter. Meter is not rhyming, and meter, the choice of meter, can set the tone of the work. For the purposes of this discussion, I am going to reasonably, I think, talk about music and ancient poetry. Consider music today. There is a whole range of understanding uh, about music today. Uh, for example, you have the casual listener who is not aware, perhaps, of the undercurrents of the composition, but they know they like it, and that's enough. Consider babies that dance to happy music and they smile, or they are moved by sad music. They just get it. They obviously don't know the composition behind it, and they don't need to know the details behind it. And this is not a, a judgment. Music is everywhere, and nowadays a whole lot of people pay 
a fee monthly just to have music available on their phones. But they don't understand necessarily the details behind it, and again, they don't need to. And then there are your garage band teenagers. They know the basic chords. They know the type of progression they want. They understand, even if they can't articulate it, what goes into a song. And in some ways, this is like Peyton Manning and Brad Paisley in their popular commercial where Peyton Manning, you know, the former NFL player, who really has no knowledge of music, is trying to write the correct mood, trying to find just the right feeling for a commercial jingle. So he knows what it should feel like, but just can't articulate it. But he does know music sets the mood, and that is the point. And then there are some incredibly technical, knowledgeable people in the music industry. If you ever get a chance to listen to Harry Connick Jr. talk about technical aspects of music, it's pretty fascinating. He understands the beat, the various key changes. He really understands the technical side of music. Yet he's very much a popular artist. Most of the music that you hear on today's Top 40 stations follows a very specific set of unwritten rules. And that's not a criticism. Let me be clear. There is a reason the songs are grouped together appropriately. They have a similar beat, a flow, if you will, and a similar structure in respect to verses and chorus and length. And believe it or not, there is a tremendous range in terms of popular music, which is why we have different radio stations. If you listen to progressive rock of the 70s, prog rock, like early Genesis or early Rush, the songs are often longer, the lyrics are quite bizarre, and the time signature of the songs change. The beat, if you will, to oversimplify things, can change within the same song. Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen breaks all the rules, and most people, if you hadn't thought about it, wouldn't recognize that it doesn't fit the mold of popular music. And in fact, this is a point, a sticking point in the movie Bohemian Rhapsody, where Queen argues, hey, this is a great song, and the music producer says, no, this, this doesn't fit. Uh, Broadway artists, too, they have an incredible high level of the technical understanding of music. I will only be touching on the technical details of Latin meter, but I think going into the technical details of Latin meter adds a level of appreciation for the talent of these works that were produced in ancient Rome. And my point of this discussion of music, leading up to my discussion of poetry, is that you don't need to know a whole lot about it. You don't need to get bogged down in the technical details to appreciate it. You as a human being, you live in a society with other human beings and you have the tool to understand ancient meter and writings. You may not be able to articulate the differences, but all of you listening can immediately tell the difference between a rock song of the 70s, a pop song of the 80s, current pop, Broadway musical, after hearing only a little tiny bit. And I think that you can have the same experience listening to ancient meter. And I believe strongly that the ancient listener absolutely could tell the difference between the various meters at all levels of understandings. In other words, just as you don't need to understand what a time signature is to recognize and appreciate music nowadays, 
an ancient listener did not need to understand meter to understand, recognize, and appreciate ancient poetry. Now, there is one very important item that I may have left out that many people are not aware of. And, quite frankly, I believe this is the biggest eye-opener, or stumbling block, depending on your point of view, for students learning Latin. Word order does not matter in Latin. Period. In English, we like our subject first, our verbs second, and everything else to follow. Look at any English magazine, newspaper, book, subject, verb, object. Latin doesn't have that rule. In fact, regularly and consistently, the subject is first and the verb is last. And there is a, a very popular joke. A senator shows up late one day to the Senate where Cicero, the famous Roman orator, is speaking. He whispers to his fellow senator next to him, Psst, hey, what's he talking about? I don't know, says his colleague. He hasn't gotten to the verb. So, I do not wish to overstate it. There are some conventions and unwritten rules. You just can't throw words into a shaker and toss them out on the page and expect to be clear. I mean, grammatically speaking, you can do that to a large degree, but a Roman would quickly look at that and say, hey, you're not from around here, are you? But that flexibility of the language is much more accepted in poetry and in modern music. I mean, let's face it, how many of you blink when John Bon Jovi says, I'm a cowboy on a steel horse I ride? That's not our usual format, but it is acceptable in a song. And the same applies to ancient poetry. There is a little more flexibility. And so, yes, in this little digression, I am trying to have it both ways. I am trying to state that word order doesn't matter, but crafty word order in poetry is noted and appreciated. So, let's get into the details of ancient meter. Syllables are long or short. Ancient poetry, ancient meter, is simply a combination of long syllables and short syllables. And, quite simply, long or short means literally the time it takes to say something. It either takes a long time to say part of a word or a short time to say it. Now, what are the rules for this? Well, first and foremost, a syllable can be long if it has a long vowel or short if it has a short vowel. Consider the English word in. I'll be there in a minute. The I in in is a short vowel. And often we practically lose the I sound in there. I'll be there in a minute. I mean, we, we tend to shorten it to that only N sound. On the other hand, the I in time is long. And we do not shorten that word, time. Now, not just the vowel, but the words after it, because we're talking about syllables, can determine the length of a syllable. A syllable can also be long if that vowel sound is followed by two consonants, because it takes longer to say the two consonants. 
And remember, we're talking about the length of a syllable, that part of a word, not the individual letters in it. For example, in English, we tend not to shorten the E in dent, even though it is a short E, but we can and do shorten the E in elephant, either E. <laughs> or to put it another way, the word elephant rolls, it flows, but dent doesn't. Or the phrase an apple. The first A in an is often lost. And again, just like in, we make that n sound. Give me an apple. But we don't shorten the A in apple. This has two consonants after that. Now we can, and teachers of Latin, you're not yours truly, of course, uh, can overcomplicate things. But if you have not considered how you speak, the flow of the words, I encourage you to listen to yourself or others. It can be pretty fascinating. We can further overcomplicate over things by coming up with words like spondy and trochee and dactyl. A spondy is two long syllables, a trochee is a long syllable followed by a short syllable, and a dactyl is a long followed by two shorts. And then these are all combined to come up with a line, and the combination is given an equally complicated name, like hendecasyllabics. Don't get me wrong, hendecasyllabics is incredibly fun to say. I think Elf would appreciate it. Ooh, hendecasyllabics, I think that's fun to say. But it is just a word that means 11. So there are 11 syllables or beats in one line of a hendecasyllabic poem. But I do not want to get into the weeds in this. I only want to tell you that if you are at all interested, do not be put off by the terminology. It can, understandably, I get it, turn into a big math problem opposed to simple poetry. So before we get too far into the details, let's listen to what you can do with these things. How does this show up in Latin? Let's look at the line I opened up with. Qui do no lepidum no wum libellum. Count that on your fingers. Qui do no lepidum no wum libellum. Eleven syllables. Qui do no. Long, long, long. Lepidum. Short, short, long. Did you hear it? Lepidum. Noum. Short and a long. Libellum. Short, long, long. So, Every single solitary line in a hendecasyllabic poem has that same flow, that same long, 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 short, short, long, and so on. And I, I'm very glad I enjoyed that meter, but it is hard for me not to emphasize the meter. When I teach this meter in class, I, I invariably end up, well, um, I won't say dancing, but at least moving because I can't help it. I very much like the flow of this hendecasyllabic meter. But let's look at another meter. This time we're going to switch to dactylic hexameter. This is the meter of epic, of grand poetry, not necessarily the fun poems of Catullus. This is the meter of Homer, in other words, the Iliad and the Odyssey, and of Virgil, the Aeneid. And the rules of each line are, are slightly different. And I don't need to elaborate in this case, other than to say each line has six feet, and each foot is either a spondy, long, long, 
or a dactyl long short short. Here's an example. Qualis apesa per floria rura, exercet sub sole labor cum gentis adultus, educunt fetus aut cum liquentia mela, stipant et dolci, distendunt nectare celas, aut honora cipiunt venientum, aut agmine facto, igna vum fucos pecusa praesepibus arcent. Fervet hus redolentque timo fragrentia mela, O fortunate quorum yam moenia surgent. Now, I think these are fairly representative lines of dactylic hexameter. Uh, this is a selection uh, from, in, from the Aeneid that appeared on the Latin Advanced Placement Exam uh, most recently, in 2019. The selection compares workers in a city to bees, but metrically speaking, I am hoping you can hear the difference. It is a good, solid, standard dactylic hexameter. And unlike the Hendeka syllabics, this is where I hope you can hear the difference, I, I wasn't compelled to move or dance. I have perhaps exaggerated the individual lines slightly to highlight the meter, but overall this is, um, this is just your basic, general, solid dactylic hexameter. And again, it, is, it flows differently than the Hendeka syllabics. But listen to this line. Quadrupedante putrem sonatu quatatungula campum. Did you hear it? Let me repeat it. Quadrupedante putrem sonatu quatatungula campum. This is a line where Virgil describes the sound of hoofbeats, horses beating the ground as they are running. Quadrupedante putrem sonatu quatatungula campum. I think you can hear that. Here's another line from Virgil. Monstrorend in form in gens qui lumen edemptum. Can you hear that limping, the, the lunging? Monstrorend in form in gens qui lumen edemptum. This is the Cyclops Polyphemus, the monster limping out toward Odysseus. Technically, this line is also doing something else because virtually every foot has some sort of elision. You know, a rule by which you can cut off and join two words based on a vowel combination. A contraction, if you will. In other words, this is like a, a didn't versus did not. But this would have been picked up uh, by those who knew Latin. But I think even you non-Latin speaking listeners out there can hear the limping. Monstra rend in form in gens qui lumen edemptum. And perhaps you can listen again to the other one. Quadrupedante putrem sonatu quatatungula campum. These two lines have a different feel, a different sound, and are suited to a different part of the story. And compared to Hendecasyllabics, a different poem, a different work all together. Now you know how to fit these words into a meter. If you have ever sung along to the Broadway musical Alexander Hamilton, you understand this. Alexander Hamilton fits perfectly at the end of a line. Alexander Hamilton. And it's very catchy. In fact, if you listen to Alexander Hamilton or The Phantom of the Opera, you'll understand the idea of matching long and short syllables to come up with a flow. Andrew Lloyd Webber has made the phrase, The Phantom of the Opera, fit better at the beginning of a line as opposed to the end. 
And this, at a basic level, is what the ancient playwrights and poets are doing when they construct their words to fit a specific meter. Again, the purpose of all of this was to emphasize that somehow we, human beings living in this 21st century modern world, are fully capable of recognizing these things, even you know, subconsciously. We just like it, and we sing along, and you, we, are fully capable of listening to, reading, translating, and at least appreciating ancient poetry. So, I encourage you, do not turn away from it, don't be put off by it. Recognizing meter and sound and the feeling of the combination of words is something that we all do each and every day. Thank you for listening to this edition of Latin Rocks. Tune in next time when I discuss another topic from ancient Rome.